Good morning. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Psalm 69. Psalms 69. We had, you remember from last week, and I invite you, if you're our guest and you haven't heard last week, it, we're sort of jumping in in the middle of Psalm 69. You can hear that online or on YouTube or any manner of places um, to get the other side of this. But we're looking at verse 19 through the end of the chapter, and what we're really doing is connecting David and our Lord Jesus this morning. And so let us stand to our feet in honor of God's Word, and we'll read the rest of this chapter together. Psalm 69, beginning in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. This is a psalm of David. David says, you know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I have looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my, first, my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they're at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp become desolation. Let no one dwell in their tent. For they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners let heaven and earth praise him and the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. And the people dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. This is the word of God and these are the promises of God. Let us pray. Lord, give us understanding what does this mean? What does this mean? Not first to us, God, but Lord, what does it mean? What does this tell us about you? What does this tell us about your people? What does this tell us about David? And then what does this tell us about ourselves? Teach us, we pray. We have so much to learn. We desperately want to see your beauty today to experience the hope that can only come through a restored relationship with you because of the work of your son. And so, Lord, show us above everything else the glory of Jesus Christ. And we will make much of him with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So as we said last week, the flow of this is, is David, Jesus, and us. That's the, that has been the flow. Last week, we, we centered pretty much on David, but we saw how it point, pointed to, to Jesus and then to us. It was interesting, as I studied this week, about if you look over all the different Psalms, about 40% of them are laments. So lament is, is not quite half, but there are some that are sort of laments and sort of other things. And so lament is 
was a big part of not only David's life, but the other writers of the Psalms and of God's people's life. That's why there are so many of them in here. And so what we want to do is see how this points to Jesus, how it points to our life. Uh, we're going to fly in here in a minute, just so you know. Um, this, so sometimes sermons have a little bit of different flavor. Uh, what, we're going, what we're going to do is we're going to, to fly over into the life of Jesus pretty much those last few hours of his life. And then we're going to flash back to, the, to Psalm 69 to see how this points to him. Here's the question, though. Does, does all of David's sorrow and despair and lament before God, to, and we're reading it, it was before his people too, does he reflect a weak faith? I mean, if he would have trusted God more, if he had just said, yeah, so what, I'm all right. I'm okay. Just just smile and say good morning. Right? My world's falling apart, but I'm okay. <laughs> right? I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. How you doing today? I feel tech. No, I'm no, no, don't say that. I'm I'm fine. Is, is that a weak faith? Because if we believe that on the inside, whether we would dare say it out loud or not, what do we do with Jesus this morning? That's the question. Sorrow, despair, and lament does not reflect our sin. It reflects our humanity. It does not reflect our sin. It reflects our fragility. We are not God. <laughs> when terrible things happen in our life, they can break us in two. Sorrow and lament are as necessary in a broken world as joy and gladness. Wouldn't there not be something wrong with a guy or a gal who gets some kind of shocking diagnosis and realizes what this diagnosis is going to cost them over the next few years and, and say, eh, okay, something wrong with that. I once went to a, a funeral of a, a man or a father who lost his son who was, who was very young. And the whole funeral, the guy was cracking jokes, just being lighthearted through the whole thing. I wonder, and I ask you, if you were there today like I was, did anybody in the room think that was a good thing, that that was a healthy thing? No. What we expect when the storms blow into our life is grief and lament. It's it was a big part of David's life, and like it or not, it's going to be a big part of your life. And so we best learn how to fight through faith in the midst of it. Lament and sorrow, brothers and sisters, is how we fight with our faith. Sometimes for our faith. In the midst of the brokenness of life, God promises us, I will bring purpose from your pain. I will make all things right, and I will always be with you. I will always be with you. So the main idea this, today is Christ-centered. When Jesus suffered unjustly, he persevered through trust-filled prayer to his Father. As a result, he brought us to eternal deliverance and a forever hope. So let's first remind ourselves of David's sorrow. That's what he's doing then let's look at Jesus' sorrow and rejection. And then see, see Jesus' solution to the sorrow. So, understanding lament psalms is important. It's good for to understand it. So, he laments, and he goes through all of this, and just sort of upchucks all of it all over God. God, this is what happened. Do something. Here's who I am. And then, he, and then he starts over. He just goes back through it all again. And so when you get to verse 19, he's just going to go back through it again. What he just went through. It's, just, it's this picture of perseverance in prayer. His problem hasn't changed. And so his prayers don't stop. I want you to see something, though, just some words. We believe every word of God is inspired. Amen. 
So that's why we look at what the words mean. The word reproach here means to put to an open or public shame. So is there, there's a public nature to this shame and disrespect. It's not done in secret. It's not simply people talking to you about behind your back. This has went public. The dishonor here, there again, is to be publicly insulted, even injured. His heart literally has been smashed. That's what that word broken means. It's been smashed. This is that what has happened to him has affected him internally. But you see, grief and sorrow and trauma affects you on the inside, but it doesn't stay on the inside, does it? It, You see that word despair? Literally means to be sick. Sick. What has somebody has done to him has affected him on the inside and the out. He said, I looked around for someone to have pity. You see that pity? Someone to share how I feel. Didn't find anybody. Didn't find anybody that was willing to share what I was going through. It, sooner or later in your life, this will be your experience. Sooner or later, you're going to sit back and you're going to go back through David, the psalm, and you're sitting there going, man, he's like he's writing my biography right now. You see, we must go. It is healthy for us to go through grief and lament, but it is not healthy for us to go through it alone. Amen? It's not healthy. Isolation is a lie of the devil. It will not help you. It will destroy you. We go through it, and we move forward, sometimes backwards, sometimes never as fast as we want to go, but we move forward. We move forward together with people that we can trust what God gave us to church and what we realize sometimes even in there doesn't seem like anybody understands what about Jesus you see this David's life didn't center on himself David's pointing somewhere we talked about that last week so let's now go up and let's fly in to Jesus's life And what I'm doing intentionally is in every section here, I'm going to a different place in the Gospels. I'm doing that intentionally to try to teach you that if you want to understand the life of Christ, you're going to have to study all the Gospels, not just one. And and so, remember, in John, you can find John. Go ahead and be finding the Gospel of John. John 15. Remember, we said this last week in verse 4 of chapter 69. Jesus quotes Psalm 69 and said, They hated me without cause. They who? There's a lot of people that hated Jesus, wasn't there? Judas hated him. Herod hated him. Caiaphas hated him. Pilate, the Jews, the priests, the people, the rulers. John 10 Notice the Jews reject him. Oftentimes, by the way, when we hear the Jews, ultimately what they're pointing to first and foremost is the leadership of the Jews. Uh, John 10, verse 24. It said, So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Verse 25. Jesus answered, them, I told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. In verse 31, as a result, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Flip over a chapter to John chapter 11. I love this sovereign encounter here God speaks and uses even our enemies it's good news today John 11 look at verse 47 it says so the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said what are we to do for this man speaking of Jesus performs many signs if we let him go on like this everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation verse 49 
But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Verse 51, the author said, He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations, and not for the nation only, but also together into one the children of God who was scattered abroad. So from that day on, they, they made plans to put him to death. Here's the question. Were they making plans to kill Jesus? Or was God making plans to save you? Yep. Both. <laughs> Both. John 12, one more chapter over. John 12, verse 36. So when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed, whom has heard from us, And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39. Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. They would not believe. So they could not believe. John 13, 21. Now we see it gets even closer to Jesus said, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you, meaning one of the twelve, will betray me. Jesus experienced rejection. It only increased. And with rejection comes sorrow, but nothing matches the sorrow that he experienced in the garden. So now, let's fly up and go over to Matthew 26 in the Gospel of Matthew I want you to see in this point, this this unfolding account. Matthew 26 and verse 36. Jesus is now in the garden. Then Jesus went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here a while while I go and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43, And again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for a third time, saying the same words. And he came to the disciples and said, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The context here is Jesus in the midst of deep grief, crushing grief. That's what that means. He was sorrowful. So so crushed was his grief. So deep was his sorrow that he thought it would kill him. And so we prayed, remove this cup. I know this is not a cup. But he was, remove this cup from me. Went back. There's another sermon in why the disciples were sleeping. They too were stricken with something, sorrow, a heaviness. They didn't know what in the world was happening. 
Their bodies just sort of gave out on them. Times were pretty hard on the disciples. We never put ourselves in their shoes. But let's look at Jesus. He was sorrowful. And each time he said, Well, Lord, if you will for me to drink this cup, I will drink it. Don't want to drink it. But I'll drink it if that's what you want me to do. We get a little hint for this in John 18. You don't have to flip there. They get up and they go and they meet this band of peoples with torches and swords and Simon Peter being Simon Peter in John 18 verse 10 drew his sword and cut off somebody's ear. And in verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He had already he had his answer. Romans 3 and verse 25 said that God put forth Jesus as our propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation is Jesus is our wrath removing substitute. It was not the cross in the cup. It was not pain in the cup. It was not the mocking in the cup. It was the wrath of God in the cup. The wrath that you deserve and that I deserve was in that cup. And if he didn't drink it, you will. That's the message and that is the gospel. Psalms 69 now flashing back over. To, the, to Psalm 69, just listen to what it says in verse 7. It is, says, It is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. Isaiah 53 in verse 4 says this about the suffering servant. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Please, until you, begin, until you start picking this passage up, and start praying people's physical healing, you best understand first and foremost that our greatest problem is a spiritual problem. And if that's not healed, then who cares about the rest? We must be spiritually healed, and we cannot heal ourselves. David's shame and David's sorrow pointing to Jesus' shame and his sorrow because he must drink the cup of God's wrath, but Jesus' situation didn't get better, did it? So let's look at his situation because he goes from a garden to a trial. Garden was only the beginning. You remember he was arrested, attacked, and mocked the whole way. Now flip back to Matthew. Matthew. In verse 56 of Matthew 26, said all those, even those who loved him, left him and fled. There it is. That's what David feels. That's what you often feel. Understand that's what Jesus felt. He looked up and everybody is gone. He was abandoned and alone. Jesus was placed on trial at night. Matthew 26, verse 60, they trumped up false charges against him to bear false testimony. He, he didn't say much, and even when he did, it only served to make him angry. People who hate you, every time you open your mouth, it just makes them matter. That, that's exactly what it was. Just look with me in Matthew 26. Look at verse 62. It said, and the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it these, that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. 
And the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore their robes. He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered him. He deserves death. And they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us. Who is it that struck you? You see, Psalm 69 verse 4 said, They hated me without cause. It was with their mouth that they attacked me. He was convicted. He was crucified. You can only scan down to Matthew 27 and you'll see Pilate's part in this. Pilate knew he was innocent. And he turned him over to be crucified anyway. But pay attention to what is said in verse 25 in Matthew 27, for this is important. Pilate said, this man has done nothing wrong, and he washed his hands, you remember? I'm, I'm innocent of this man's blood, and, and what did they say? What did the Jewish people say? Let his blood be on us and on our children. We'll come back to that. We now see Jesus on the cross. And then we flash back to our Psalm 69 and verse 21. We, see, we hear this. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19 and verse 28, we see this. And in fact, we are told Jesus said this in order to fulfill Scripture, verse 28. He said, I thirst. In a jar, verse 29, full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Uh, sour wine, by the way, was the cheap beverage of the soldiers used to satisfy their thirst when they were out on the job, so to speak. But understand, the thirst that Jesus had, the hunger that he had, was far beyond anything that sour wine could quench because his father had forsaken him. And the wrath that was in that cup was being paid. This moistened his lips, according to John chapter 19 and verse 30, just well enough for him to say three words. It is finished. But I want to contrast something to you, and I want you to go back to Psalm 69 to see it. And you've got to see this to grab the, both the good news of the gospel and the serious nature of the gospel. You see in verse 22, look at verse 22. And you notice when I read, all of a sudden, David got real serious, didn't he? Started praying things. By the way, the fancy word for this is imprecatory. He, he, started, he started praying judgment prayers and cursing on his enemies. And he just goes on and on. Verse 28. Down, all the way down to verse 28. What is going on there? I want you to see. I want you to see a contrast this morning. David here is uttering judgment and cursing because of what his enemies is doing to God's people. And in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, Jesus said to the crowd, to the Jewish leaders, to those who hated him and had been tormenting him the whole time, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Well, I know sometimes we get a picture of Jesus way up in the air, but most likely in crucifixion, most of the time, you were only a few feet off the ground, and you were naked, and you were exposed, and that was intentional so people could go by you, and they could mock you, they could spit on you, and they could taunt you, and they could shame you. That was part of the lesson 
that the Romans were teaching everybody else to keep them in line. In the midst of all of the scoffing and the mocking and the taunting, it was Jesus who forgave them. Remember, it is he who taught us in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Isn't it comforting to know Jesus never tells you something to do that he didn't go through? He went through it first. So it is. Listen. So it is with the cross of Jesus. The offer of Mercy is given in the place of judgment. That's why it's called good news. There is real judgment. We flash back to Psalm 69 and verse 26. Just listen. For they persecute him whom you have struck down. Remember, David's praying to God. For they persecute him whom you've struck down. They recount the pain of those whom you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. That means he wants them to die. Judgment is real. Flip with me now to Acts 2. Jesus is risen. He has ascended and the Holy Spirit has been given. This was a holiday called Pentecost. God was exponentially building his church. He's just about to. And he used these 11 now, ordinary men. It was Peter. Remember Peter's message in Acts 2 and verse 23. Listen to this. Just like you just got through reading Psalm 69, you see sovereignty and responsibility here. So it is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Acts 2.23 This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24 God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 36 let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify. Remember, let their blood be on us and our children. What is Peter saying? You bet it is. You bet it is. You stood there that day and you uttered crucify him. News flash. God raised him up and we are witnesses to it. And you're in trouble. That's the feeling. What is God? Listen, if one of God's promises in Scripture is I will make all things right, then what is God going to do about your sin? That's the question. How is what is wrong going to be made right first in me? That's what he's telling him. What is God going to do? Because you killed the king of glory and God raised him up. But in this, in this sobering reality of judgment, there is mercy offered. Look at verse 37, Acts 2. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. 
Judgment is real, but mercy is offered. We see here, mercy is received. What are you going to do with the mercy that is offered today? Because all of us are going to do something with it. The warning is real. Hebrews chapter 2 warns God's people. In verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Turn with me to Romans 11. Remember, as we read this, and if this goes right over your head this morning, it's okay. We'll look at it again later. Remember that Paul was a Jew. That's important. He's explaining something here. About what God, how God deals with the Jewish people and how God deals with the Gentile people. And even in the, amongst the Jewish people whom we've already studied wholesale as a, as a majority rejected him. He said not all of them did. Because the Lord always keeps a remnant. Paul says I'm one of them. And so Romans 11 verse 5 just listen to what he says. He said, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Verse 7. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it and the rest were hardened. Now don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the Bible. As it was written... God gave them a spirit and stupor and eyes that could not see and ears that would not hear down to his very day. Verse 9, And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block of retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. The illustration he's getting to here is that of an olive tree. An olive tree that has Natural, natural branches and a nourishing root. There are natural branches and there were what he called a wild olive shoots that have been grafted in. Verse 17. But if some of the branches, that is unbelieving Jews, were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, that is, believing Gentiles, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root, that is Christ, of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. You get that? Jesus is the root. We are supported by him. Verse 19. Now, now lean in here. Then you will say, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Verse 20, that's true. But listen, they were broken off. Why? What does it say? Because of their unbelief. You were grafted in, but you stand fast. How? Through faith. So do not... Become proud, but fear. For it is not, for, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither would he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided to continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they did not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power. To graft them in again. This warning is a real warning. Do not respond to the offer of salvation with unbelief. Are you too like the Jews may well be cut off without remedy? Spurgeon said it this way. See the terrifying, degrading, enfeebling influence of unbelief. See also the retaliation of justice. Those who do not want to see it will not see. 
Those who will not walk in it uprightness will not be able to do so. Verse 23, look at verse 23 again. The hope is clear. If they leave their unbelief, they will be grafted back into the body of Christ. So you see, brothers and sisters, there is one people of God, the church, and everyone who comes in comes in the same way by faith. That is the offer. The offer is mercy through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ by faith alone. So the flow that pointed from David's life into Jesus' life so that we may see not only the reality of David's suffering and sorrow, but our Lord's sorrow and suffering that brought us a solution, a solution to the lifelong issue that we have of our sin and our shame. C.S. Lewis said, as that God-sized hole in our heart, Jesus' solution was his salvation. His salvation. Psalm 69 and verse 29, he said, But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. It's his salvation. And so, let's turn this ship now towards the salvation. Now, you just can't think about your salvation and not go to Ephesians. It is the, I just, I just love it. Can't wait to preach in that book. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Now, listen to the language. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in what? Mercy, because of the what? Great love with which he loved who? Us. Even when we were what? Dead in our sins. Made us what? Alive together with Christ. By what? Grace you have been saved. Listen to verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable richness of His grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be saved and raised up? Everything. (laughs) Everything. It means that Nothing of what was in your yesterday has the right to stop you or define you. Christ paid it all, and He has done it. He has given you a new identity. He has given you a new destiny. He has given you a new purpose. He has given you a new family. What else do you want from Him? He has given you all. And it all must be received by faith. We are saved at a point in time. Spiritually, that is our justification. We are being saved right now, being transformed into one likeness of Christ. Glory to glory. That's our sanctification. And we are looking for a day that we will be glorified, to where sin will be no more present in me, nor in, this new, in the new heavens and the new earth that God promises one day He will create. That's salvation. It is all salvation. And it begins with faith. This salvation should bring our worship. Amen? This salvation. That, that's why David ends where he ends from verse 30 to 36. Let me just read just a few verses of it. Psalm 69. As we finish, I know I'm out of time. says, I will praise the name of God with the song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Verse 31, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull or with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. You can almost say it this way. Let the crushed heart be made whole. The Lord hears the needy. And so 
this morning. Here's my, here's what God has been working on me. I've had this conversation multiple times this week as just, just different conversations popped up. We will worship in the storm as we wait. That is the resolve. The resolve is simply not, well, God, if you give me what I want, I will worship you. It's what leads to all this false gospel teaching that always prays for deliverance and does not, is not willing to walk through the storm and does not see God's purpose in the storm. Your storm is purposeful. And here's what he's saying. We're going to worship. How do you do that? How do I worship when the diagnosis is still there? How do I worship when that person I love is still gone? How do I worship when someone took something from me that they should not have taken? He tells you where to get started in verse 30. Gather with the people of God and remember that we have much to give thanks for. In the midst of your suffering, we gather with the redeemed and we stir up our grateful hearts. We remember that if I go through suffering and it is only suffering for the rest of my life, I have been saved and raised up with him right now. And like our brother said, that's everything. It's all I need. Can deal with the rest. And I am going to worship. Don't miss the part. Verse 32. There's people watching you suffer. There's people watching what you're going through. I know you don't want them to. They are anyway. Every one of you, no matter what age you are, have a witness. You have a sphere of influence in your life. That is the most precious thing that God ever gives to you. It is your witness. And as I told my children many times, when you get outside your parents' authority, you will just become who you are. Either a child of God who's on fire for Him or a child of the devil that lives for Him. We only have two options. The call for here is to live for Him. And when you do, in the midst of your suffering, God will give you the ability to worship Him. And when you do, people around you will say, I, I know what she's going through. I know what he's going through. How in the world? And that's your gospel opportunity, brothers and sisters. The greater the suffering, the sweeter the worship. So don't despise it. I am not telling you something that I have not experienced. But even if I did not experience it, it would still be true. Because God's word says it is, and it doesn't lie. You can worship Him. You can trust Him. And look for Him in the midst of the storm. I can tell you from personal experience... I wouldn't trade what I have been through for nothing in the world. For I have experienced the Psalms 27 beauty of God. And you can too by faith. So this is the offer. Christ has done everything. And he offers you salvation now. And it is to be received by faith. Let's pray to the Lord. Lord, we, we thank you for your, your word. For how the Old Testament points us to the New Testament. How it can be both sobering and glorious all at the same time. Provoking the need not only to repent but also to worship. And so Lord, now we bring all of that to you at this moment. This is the time we respond. As we've said many times, all of us respond. Lord, you said if 
we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts, God raised from the dead, we could be saved. And so, Lord, if there's some that need to confess that, I just pray that they would. Lord, I pray that the evil one not be able to snatch the seed that you have planted today. All I have done is delivered your word. I pray for the Holy Spirit to make it come to life in the hearts of those who need it. Lord, some of it is not salvation. Some of it is just comfort. might be forgiveness. Lord, I, I think there's people in here that need to grieve, need to lament and need to hear today that it's okay, that you give it to us to do, and it must be done. It's not a sign you don't have faith. So God, I pray that you would lead us into good grief, grief with hope, grief that removes bitterness and a cynical spirit. Lord, I pray for that deliverance today for those that are here and those that are watching. We need in our life what only you can do. And so now, Lord, we come to offer our giving not as payment but as a reflection of your generosity to us we come to the tables to remember the body and the blood of our Lord who gave it all so that we might be yours thank you God for that restored relationship Thank you, God, that I now know who I am and that no one can take that away from those who believe. And so, Lord, do your work in this room today, we pray. Move among us as we worship you. In Jesus' name.